Welcome to the Indianola First Growth Group Podcast. This original content from our growth group classes is designed to take you further in your discipleship journey. Our desire is to see you grow to a whole new level. So I'm going to do a bit of review and summarize. This is lesson number three. So what today is going to be is a continuation of um, last week's lesson. I did not get it done. Um, But I want to go back because on our first lesson, what we talked about was what it means to be created in the image of God. And we look at the creation story that talks about God made this good world. You know, he, every day he does some creation and then he pronounces at the end of that, uh, of what he did, it's good. And so we see a picture emerging of a good God who creates a good world and then he wants to share it with human that he made. Um, you guys all are aware, I'm sure, that the name Adam, you know, we get used to saying God created Adam and Eve in the garden, and or really they were not created in the garden. They were created outside of the garden and then placed in the garden. He created Adam. The name Adam literally means human. Eve means life. So he created human life, placed Adam and Eve in the garden, his human in the garden. And the first thing he does, if you read through that narrative in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28, God, this good God who made a good world, placed his human in the garden. And the first thing he he does is he blesses them. It says, and he blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. He wanted the garden to expand. He didn't want it to just stay that garden that he had made. He wanted his human to take that and take it somewhere. He wanted them to fill the earth and expand the garden and to tend and to keep the garden. And he said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. So he gives them this task. And so when we, of ruling, uses this language of, um, Subdue the earth, rule over the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, and everything that creeps on the earth. So we see God giving his human that he made this divine task of ruling. And the first thing that does when we read that is we think, ruling, that sounds like royalty. That sounds like Adam is being exalted, Adam and Eve, because it said, that he placed them in the garden and he blessed them, male and female, he created them and and they were both made in the image of God. Both male and female, equally the image of God. So what he did, what we do, what we see is that's royal language. And we talked about how the image of God is not just these characteristics that we've been given. We are the highest Um, creation that he has were were, um, intellectually and in every way above every other created thing. Um, But that is not what defines us as the image of God. What does define us as the image of God is this elevated status that he has given us to subdue the earth, to fill it, and to rule. But the important thing to realize is that we are not to rule over each other, and we are to rule according to his definition of good. 
because he, we've seen what his definition of good is. You know, we see this good God, we see a good world, everything that he made, and what he wants to share with his humans. But he says he wants them to rule and reign according to what, how he defines good. So we know what happened. So it's delegated authority. It's not, look, I've made you the human in my image. Now you rule the earth and you just do whatever you want. You, you rule the earth how you see fit. Because he specifically said, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So what does that mean to us if he said don't eat that? Why, why do you think that he said don't eat from that tree? Good. Right. Um, he wanted us to trust him, to go to him, and to have him tell us what's good and evil. And you know, a lot of times um, Christians, or at least I did, maybe you guys didn't, but you, I would look back at the story about Adam eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And a lot of times we just, in our minds, we just turn that into an apple. <laughs> you know, that this tree was just a test and God was going to see if they were going to obey him or not obey him. But what's important is that we understand what that tree represented. It represented, I'm going to do it myself. I'm going to decide how to rule on the earth. I am not going to rely upon God to tell me what to do or his definition of good. I want my definition of good. And so they just seize autonomy and they turn their backs and that's, they turn their backs on God. They're not trusting him anymore. He gave us this wonderful status and responsibility, but he wanted us to be with him. He wasn't, he wasn't going to have us rule apart from him or to rule and he wasn't going to be involved because we read that he came and he walked in the garden in the cool of the day every day with Adam and Eve. So he was, he was in close communion with them. So it wasn't an absentee God. So, so there's this picture of this union with God and ruling and reigning. And he's elevated man, human, way up above anything else in the created order. And the Bible says in um, Psalm 8, just a little lower than the angels. And so this is a wonderful status that he's given us. So then we find out that we have this whole thing in Genesis called the fall and humans decided to define good and evil for themselves. And what happens then is we read through the rest of the Old Testament an epic failure where it begins this downward spiral of humanity trying to rule and reign. So we haven't left off this whole idea of ruling and reigning on the earth. As we read through the rest of the Old Testament, we don't ever read any more about being made in the image of God. You, you read that in Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2, Genesis chapter 5, and Genesis chapter 9. And then you don't hear about that phrase, image of God, anymore. But you do see mankind setting up their own human evil kingdoms over and over and over again. And it's just this downward spiral. Um, so then it gets to the flood. And we talked about how God, he was not angry, but he was sad and he was grieved. And so he decides to Let's do a real, let's do a do-over. He, he cleanses the earth, wipes out all living flesh except for Noah and his family, and he starts again. But, but do you guys remember what we read that God specifically said right after Adam got off the boat, the ark? I mean, I'll just read it to you. It's in Genesis chapter 8, and Noah got off the boat. 
he, he does an um, offering to the Lord. The Lord smells the aroma, and he said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done. So God looks at Noah, the guy he's going to start over with, and he says his heart is still evil from his youth. The imagination of man's heart, human's heart, is evil from his youth. And, but he's, he says, I'm never going to do that again. He's, I'm never going to wipe everybody out, which shows how faithful he is to his human. He is not changing his mind. He has not taken away our status as being made in God's image. He's sticking with the original plan back there in the garden and in, in the very beginning of, of our story. He's staying with that plan that this is human. This is human life and they are made in my image and I am going to allow them this elevated status of ruling and reigning in the earth. Bad stuff happens. He looks at Noah and he says, there's still evil in the heart, but I'm, st I'm, I'm staying with them. I'm not changing my mind about my plan. So then the story goes on. We have the Exodus, and that's the first time that God says, or that, that we read in the story that Yahweh is king. The Lord is king, and he reigns, because they have this awesome, awesome show of power from God. We've seen the movies, we've read the stories, we've heard the sermons over and over again about how God comes down in power through Moses and plague after plague after, we've got 10 plagues where God has this mighty show of power and then it culminates with the Red Sea parting and they go through and then the Egyptians are drowned in the sea. And we, we read the Song of Moses and it talks about this, this awesome show of power and at the end of that Song of Moses, the statement is, the Lord reigns as king. And so, oh, I've heard that before about ruling and reigning in the Bible. And your mind goes back to, to Genesis 1 story, that man is supposed to rule and reign. And this is God showing, and he's coming, and he's going to start his, he's going to reassert the kingdom again. He's going to bring us back, and he's going to make things right. Because he took this human evil kingdom of Pharaoh in Egypt, that was enslaving his people, and there was evil, there was injustice, and he comes in, and what does he do for his people? He makes it right. He puts things right. He confronts the Pharaoh through plagues and disasters. He delivers them out of that evil kingdom, which is a representation of human trying to rule and reign the way they see fit, but not doing it the way God would define good, not doing it according to God's way. So he comes in and he delivers his people, and we find out that it says God reigns as king. So in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 through 19, is Moses, and they've come out of Egypt, they're they're setting, you know, they've been brought into covenant and they've got the the uh, the Torah and all that and and Moses is getting ready to die, and he says, he says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst and from your brethren. He, him you shall hear. So he's saying there's somebody coming. There, there's another one coming that's going, that God is going to raise up, and I want you to listen to him. 
So the story goes on. That's where we left it last week with um, the Exodus story. Then we have the period of the judges, and that's a very dark time in Israel's history. And the one phrase, when you read through the book of Judges, the phrase that keeps getting repeated is, everyone did what was right in their own sight. It was bad during that time. What does that mean? Everyone did what was right in their own sight. You know what they're doing? They're eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They're determining, I will decide for myself what is good and how I want to rule and reign and what is evil. And so what we see is they end up calling evil good and good evil. Yes, yes. We have exactly that today. We see we see humans trying to rule and reign or govern according to how they see fit and not trusting the Lord and leaning upon him. But what we see in the Bible narrative is God constantly trying to intervene. He intervenes with the flood. He intervenes in Exodus. He's going to intervene over and over again. And the people of Israel, by the time Jesus comes, they're like, what is going on here? Their world was not good. They were under Roman oppression. Things were not good in their world. They were paying high taxes. It wasn't a good situation. And so what are they doing? They're looking all the time. Where is that prophet like Moses that, that was promised to us? They're looking for that. They want to see that because they're not happy in the, in the kingdom that they are living under. So after the judges, we have the kings. Anybody think of a good king? David. <coughs> David was a bright spot in the kings. There were, I think, I want to say about 40 kings, and I think only about eight of them. You know how when you read about the kings, it'll say, so-and-so did what was right in the sight of the Lord. So-and-so did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So we see these human kingdoms, these, these there is you know, a kingdom in Israel. But we see them, and they're attempting to rule and reign according to how God wants them to, but they're not doing a very good job, are they? They're failing. We keep having this downward spiral of humans trying to rule and reign, but according to what I think is the right way. And so we have promises. We see God intervening here. We see him over and over again intervening. David comes along, and he says, there is coming a king who's going to rule on the throne forever. He's going to come from the house of David. So now we've got the nation of Israel. They're looking for that one that was promised way back in Genesis that's going to crush the serpent's head. They're looking for a prophet like Moses. They're looking for a king like David. Then what? After the kings we get in the story, because this is, a, this is an epic narrative, this story. If you ever think, think about it, when you open the Bible, the very first thing you, what are the first three words of the Bible? In the beginning. If you go to the very end in the book of Revelation, you're going to read close to, close to the end, the second to the last paragraph, you're going to read, and they shall reign forever and ever. You know what my mind thinks when you, when you read that? In the beginning, once upon a time in a kingdom far, far away. <laughs> and then at the end of it, they shall reign forever and ever. It's like, and they lived happily ever after. This is a story, a narrative that goes from the very beginnings of creation where God 
created man, created human in his image and in his likeness and gave him rule over the earth, but just said, do it under my authority. Do it the way I would want to. I've got a way that I define good and evil. If you just stay with me and you walk with me and you're united with me and you're communing with me, we can do this together. But man said, oh, I'm going to do it by myself. You know, just like a little kid when you're trying to help them do something, they're like, I do it myself, I do it myself. We wanted to do it ourselves, and it hasn't been good. It's been an epic failure down through the ages. So we get to where Jesus is coming. So, well, I did want to, I want to go into this um, Isaiah 52, and I want to show you um, a video from the Bible Project. You guys can get on the Bible Project and you can watch all kinds of videos that just help you understand the Bible so well. But we're getting to the, the books of the prophets and they're telling about the one who's going to come. Isaiah 52. If you have your Bible, turn in your Bible to Isaiah 52. And we want to focus in. So Isaiah 52, I've got footnotes in my Bible. And what it says about that is that this prophecy, Isaiah was a prophet, right? So he's prophesying, um, and they had me. This is he's prophesying about them being released from exile. Israel, the nation of Israel, is in Babylonian captivity, and so Isaiah is prophesying about when God's going to come and deliver them, just like he did for. Um, for them when they were under Egyptian captivity and he delivered them from the Pharaoh. So he's, he's prophesying about that, but then he flows right in. You guys know what's after Isaiah 52? This is a mathematical question, Isaiah 53. And that is the famous prophecy about the crucifixion. And so he's prophesying and it's a twofold fulfillment. He's prophesying about the Babylonians and them being released from their captivity and going back home to their, to their homeland. And then he also flows right into prophesying about Jesus. So I'm going to read to you, starting in verse 1, and this is where he's talking about the captivity that they're under and they're going to be um, brought back home. It says, Awake, awake, put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city, for the uncircumcised and the unclean shall no longer come to you. Shake yourself from the dust, arise, sit down, O Jerusalem, loose yourself from the bonds of your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. You have sold yourselves for nothing, and you shall be redeemed without money. For thus says the Lord God, my people went down at first into Egypt to dwell there, and then the Assyrian oppressed them without cause. Now, therefore, what have I here, says the Lord, that my people are taken away for nothing? Those who rule over them make them wail, says the Lord. And my name is blasphemed continually every day. Therefore, my people shall know my name. Therefore, they shall know in that day that I am he who speaks. Behold, it is I. So that's about them being in captivity. And it says in my footnote, it says, its fulfillment is twofold. It's the return from Babylonian captivity and the salvation of our God in Christ. So now he's flowing into what they said in the video. 
How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. So then the watchmen are excited because they see this person running, good news, good news. And they get excited and they want to know what the good news is. God reigns, your God reigns. So did you guys, whoa. <laughs> did you guys happen to um, notice in the video what the word gospel meant? It, it means good news, but, or gospel, good news. But what did in the Bible Whenever that phrase was used, it was a picture, and I think we maybe cut that part short, of somebody running. How beautiful on the mountains are they? And he's running, and he's bringing good news, and he's shouting, good news, good news. And it's never just, hey, good news, my sister had a baby. Or, hey, good news, you know, my nephew got married. Or, hey, it's good news, you know, I'm not, I'm not sick anymore. It's never like that. It's always, every time, good news about the reign of a king. It's never about anything else. It's always good news about the reign of the king. So when we read in this, in this Isaiah 52, that's exactly what they're saying. Your God reigns. What have they been looking for? They're in exile. They're in, a, in captivity. And just like them, the, the Israelites when they were under Egyptian captivity, just like the Israelites when they were under Roman captivity, they're looking for somebody to come and save them. And our God reigns. He's coming to save us. He's coming to deliver us. And so, so that's what good news always means is your God reigns. It's the reign of a king. If it'd be the equivalent for us every four to eight years, good news, we have a new president, that kind of a thing. It's always the reign of a king. So you guys don't seem too excited about that news. <laughs> it says, the watchmen lift up their voices with their voices. They shall sing together for they shall see eye to eye when the Lord brings back Zion. Break forth into joy. Sing together, your, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeem, redeemed Jerusalem. Verse 10. The Lord has made bare his holy arm in the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Who's he talking about right there? Well, they're talking about the nation of Israel, the Jerusalem, but he's flowing right into talking about Jesus. He's gone from talking about, I'm bringing you back home. I'm, I'm, I'm delivering you from this Babylonian captivity. And he's flowing right into talking about Jesus using the word gospel, using the word gospel to mean a new king is here. We have a new king. Your God reigns. And you're not going to be under the Babylonian king anymore. It's your God who reigns now. So we've got a new king that's reigning. For them, it meant, I'm going back home. I'm not going to answer to the king of Babylon. I'm going back home, and I'm going to answer to my God, Yahweh, the God of Israel. And so they're thinking that in their head. But when we read this, and it flows right into Isaiah 53, 
we find out it's talking about Jesus because we just read all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. And then it goes, let's pick it up in verse 13. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Just as many as were astonished at you, so his visage was marred more than any man. We know that that's talking about Jesus because of the crucifixion and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths at him for what had not been told them. They shall see and what they had not heard, they shall consider. So we know it's talking about Jesus. So what we have here is a people of God who are constantly looking for a deliverer. They keep getting sold into slavery to different nations because all of these human beings are not ruling the way God wants them to rule. They are taking advantage of one another. They're not doing according to God's definition of what is good. So they're constantly looking for somebody to deliver them. So then in Isaiah 52, we find out that we've got a king or uh, somebody on the mountains bringing the news that God, your God reigns, and he's going to lay bare his holy arm. And so that's a a phrase that just means he's going to roll up his sleeves. He's going to roll up his sleeves and he's going to deal with evil. He's going to deal with injustice. He's going to make things right again. So I want to ask you, Did Jesus, when the disciples were there and they're looking for Jesus, and we've talked about this, how they are looking for Jesus to come and set them free from Roman oppression. And when he died on the cross, they were distraught. They were upset because they thought, we thought he was going to be the one. We thought that he was the one that was a prophet like Moses. We thought that he was the one that was a king like David. We thought that he was the one that the prophet was talking about when he said all the ends of the earth are going to see the salvation of our God. And then he died on the cross. We thought he was the Messiah and he was going to rescue us. But I want to ask you tonight, did Jesus deal with evil? When God laid bare his holy arm, was evil dealt with? Was injustice dealt with? So when they look at him and they, you guys remember our first lesson when we had those two pictures of that woman, the woman, one picture, I'm sorry, one picture. But you could look at it one way and see a young woman. You could look at it another way and see an old woman. And so what the disciples were doing was they could only see one way that Jesus was supposed to look like to them. And so when he didn't come the way they anticipated, they thought, well, it wasn't him. But he did confront evil. He did confront injustice. He did make things right. But you remember the evil that we talked about that was in Noah's heart that, that, that God looked at and he said, I'm not going to give up on my human, but there's still evil in that heart. That's the evil that Jesus confronted. It wasn't the evil in the Roman oppressor's heart. It was the evil in our heart. It was the evil in my heart and in your heart. And it's that thing in us that keeps us wanting to eat from the wrong tree and wanting to do things the way I want to do things. He dealt with that. He put things right. I want to read to you out of um, Isaiah 53 because because we just finished with 52 and the first the first sentence in Isaiah 53 is well who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed because we just talked about the arm of the Lord was revealed 
the arm of the Lord was laid bare and he did roll up his sleeves and he did deal with evil and he conquered sin and he conquered death. And all of that was dealt with through Jesus and through his, his death and the crucifixion. And you saw in the video that we watched that when Jesus died on the cross and was, that cross was lifted up, that was his exaltation. When, he, when they put the, the crown of thorns on him, they were crowning him king. This is all God showing this is the king. He's wearing a crown. He's wearing a robe. It wasn't the kind of crown we thought. It was a crown of thorns. It wasn't the kind of robe we thought. It was a very bloodied robe that they laid over his body that was marred more than any man. He didn't look like we thought he was going to look like, so we, did, we, so we didn't all believe in him. So the question that starts in, in Isaiah 53 is, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? So if you're in here tonight and you have received Christ as your Lord and Savior, the arm of the Lord has been revealed to you. You've had a revelation. You've come to see Christ crucified for you and to understand that when he did that, he dealt with the evil in your own heart. And you've had that revelation come to you. But you know, I was talking to Tony at home about this whole idea of this storyline of humans being made in God's image, but, but abdicating the throne, the, way, the, you know, the rule, the way they should have, and trying to do it on their own terms, and how it just kept happening over and over again, and God kept intervening, and God kept intervening, and finally, once and for all, God did it, and he dealt with the evil in the heart, so that it wouldn't just have another human kingdom rise up. If he had just dealt with the Romans, you know what would have happened? Who knows how long? 20 years, 50 years, however many years later, there would have been another evil empire rise up and they would have been oppressed again or they would have been that evil empire. We saw Israelites doing the same thing to each other all the time in the Old Testament stories. So God went to the root of it and he dealt with the evil that's in every human being's heart and set us free from sin. He set us free from the power of sin. But who believed that report? I, so I was talking to Tony about that. And you know what he said to me? He goes, well, it didn't work. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I almost started to hyperventilate because what do you mean it didn't work? But you know what he was saying? He's like, when I look around, I still see evil. You mentioned it. We still see people calling evil good and good evil, because not everybody believes the report of the Lord. Not everybody has had the revelation that Jesus dealt with sin. And you know what? Sometimes even in the church, even in Christianity, we haven't understood what was accomplished for us, that that sin in our heart has been thoroughly dealt with, that the, that the sin problem, it's gone for us. For those whose the arm of the Lord has been revealed, we should be able to look at Jesus and said, you know, he did come as a suffering servant, but he also came as a conquering king because he conquered the sin in my heart. And when I made him my Lord and Savior, you know what he did? He brought me back to the garden and he reinstituted that image of God in me to where now I can. I can serve God without doing it on my own and saying, I'm going to decide what's good and what's evil. I can rely on him by the power of the Holy Spirit because he lives right inside of me. 
and God is with me all the time. And when I have a decision to make or if I'm given an opportunity to rule and reign, I know who to go to to find out exactly how to do it, right? What I want to talk to you about in particular, because, listen, I know that you all know that Jesus did that for you. It, you know, that's good news. Good news. Jesus reigns in our hearts. He dealt with the evil in our sin. It's good news. And I know that this is not, it's good news to you, but it's not new to you tonight. You're all like, you know, I already knew that. I already knew that Jesus conquered sin. I already knew that he came as a suffering servant and he died on the cross so that we could all uh, belong to God. But remember last week when we said, why is it so important and that they even brought it out in this video that the word gospel is about the reign of a king and that when we open up our New Testament in the book of Matthew, the first book of the New Testament, and we've got all this in our head about how God created man in his image and we're supposed to rule and reign under the authority of God and in, in fellowship with him and not try and do it all our own, but you know, people keep failing and people keep failing and then God finally brought the one that was promised. He brought, he brought forward the prophet that was like Moses, the one that crushed the serpent's head. He brought the king like David. He, you know, he did it in the person of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ came. And in Matthew, we open up the Bible in the New Testament. And the first thing we read is that Jesus comes on the scene and he says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And, and they seem to make such a big deal about that. And we talked about how Pastor uh, Jared taught a, a series on the kingdom. And he said, that's, the, that's what Jesus talked about all the time. He arrives on the scene. He's had his uh, testing in the wilderness. He goes, he gets, you know, he's been baptized by John. He's full of the Holy Ghost. He goes into the wilderness and, and is tempted, but he, he overcomes. And then he goes and he begins his public ministry. And what he says is, good news. The king is here. The reign of God is here. The reign of God is here. He doesn't say, good news, I'm here to die for your sins, and you can go to heaven. And that's all. He says, the reign of God is here. Everywhere he went, it was good news, and the good news was that the reign of God is here. It's at hand. It has arrived. And so, the reason that is so important to make a difference in your mind and in the revelation of your heart that the reign of God being here is different than just me getting saved and going to heaven one of these days. And while I'm here, then I'm going to be like Tony go, it didn't really work very well because I'm living the same way I used to live. I don't see any reign of God in my life. I see a reign of sin in my life. I'm not any different than I was before, but I'm going to go to heaven. Praise the Lord, I'm going to go to heaven. I'm just going to try really hard and get by all these years until someday Jesus is going to come back as the conquering king. And then it's going to be good. You know what? It's good now. Amen. It's good now. We have a good God who has a good plan and he has a definition of good for me and for you. And you know what it is? The reign of God is here. Jesus came announcing the reign of God is here. And we need to understand that to be a Christian, it's not just I'm going to go to heaven, got my sins washed away by the blood of Jesus, hallelujah, praise God, and 
I'm accepted by God and I'm in the family of God. And one day in the sweet by and by, I'm going to be with God forever. Jesus came to give you the reign of God now. It's here now. He didn't say it's coming. He said it is at hand. It is here now. It has arrived. So Tony, he's like, well, it didn't seem like it worked because we still see people who aren't living under that reign. But we are. For us, it is here. For us, we can walk with God and we can lean on him and we can live out what it means to be a human being made in the image and likeness of God. We can do that now. You know, we couldn't do that before when that evil was still in our heart. When he looked at Noah and he said, there's still evil in the heart of man, but I'm not giving up on my human. But now, because of what Jesus did, you know what? There's no evil in the heart of man now. Right? According to my Bible, God gave you a new heart and a new spirit. And he put the law in your heart. He put the spirit in you. I'm going to read that to you just, just to make sure that we're all aware of that. So it's in um, Ezekiel chapter 34, I think. 36, verse 25. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all of your filthiness and from all of your idols. I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Then you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. He fixed the sin problem for those who believe, for those to whom the arm of the Lord has been revealed. We have the kingdom now. That doesn't mean that um, there's not evil going on out there in the world. But, but what does the Bible say? We're not of the world. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. We're citizens of another kingdom. And, and uh, we are kind of like in exile right now. But we belong to God and we're a part of his kingdom. Where did Jesus say the kingdom is? Where is it located, the kingdom? What did you say, Martha? It's here, but where specifically? Oh, in the heart. Okay, she's pointing at, her, at the heart. Jesus said the kingdom, remember when he stood before Pilate and Pilate said, um, are you a king? You know, are you king, a king? And Jesus said, you know, my kingdom's not of this world. But he said and also in another place, the kingdom of God is within you. It's in our heart. So we are on this earth and there's other kingdoms. You know, we live in a, in a somewhat of a kingdom in, in America, under a government, government that's ruling uh, and governing over us. But we belong to Jesus, and we belong to that kingdom because we're strangers and, ex and aliens in this world. We're in exile, so we're citizens of another kingdom. But they're out there, but, but not for us. Not for us. We are in the, in, under the reign of God. So as a Christian then when we realize that's what Jesus was all about. You know, the title of this teaching series is Seeing Jesus because we need to see Jesus as 
as how Jesus saw himself. And Jesus saw himself as a king bringing the reign of God now. It's already here, but we know it's an already but not yet kingdom. That's why Tony said it doesn't seem like it's working. Because it's not yet for everybody. You know, we've got the, the wheat and the tares growing up together. And at the end of the age, there'll be a separation of that. And then everybody's going to be in the kingdom, right? But right now, not everybody is. But we are. So what are we supposed to do with that? We're supposed to live under the reign of King Jesus and live according to the way that his definition of good is. So where do you learn what that is? We're at in the Bible specifically. The Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount. It tells us all about of why this is how Jesus thinks it looks like to rule and reign according to his definition of good is the Sermon on the Mount. Love your enemies. You know what? Overcome evil with good. Love your enemies. Forgive them. Pray for people that, are, that despitefully use you. All of that is, is a picture for us of what it means to come under the reign of God. So... I, I'm, not, I don't, I'm not trying to be critical or anything, but as we look out at the church at large, most people aren't living that way, are they? We have, we have congregations all over the world that people are bound up with unforgiveness. They're addicted to all kinds of things. We, we're not living under the reign of God. So for us to say, I'm coming under, I, I want to... <coughs> to do this the way Jesus calls good, the way God the Father calls good. I want to rule and reign. I want to be a part of the kingdom according to that way. Then we need to allow him to reign in our heart. And if, and if the Bible says in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, we should forgive our enemies, love our enemies, then that's what we should do. Can we? Can we do that? Do you think it's possible? For us to do that, we got a new heart. We've got the Spirit of God on the inside of us. We've got the Word of God. We've got the example of Jesus. We should be able to. They couldn't do it before. They really couldn't. It was just constant downward spiral, kingdom after kingdom after kingdom. They'd try. God would start over. They'd try. Didn't work. Somebody would always fail. And, and they just couldn't do it. But God fixed that problem with Jesus. He did conquer evil. He did confront evil. He did, he just did, he confronted the evil in our own hearts. It's not a matter of, of, uh, I'm just going to get saved and go to heaven. I'm just going to, I'm just, you know what? That's not compelling to anybody. The world is looking for people who are actually living the Sermon on the Mount, right? That's compelling to them. So Jesus left us here in this already but not yet kingdom where it looks like it's not really working. He left us here so that we could actually let Jesus reign in our heart. And that's going to compel people. So now we're the ones on the mountain saying good news, God reigns. And that's compelling to people to see the reign of God, to see, it, to see Jesus in somebody with them actually doing what the Sermon of the Mount says and loving people and overcoming evil with good, praying for their enemies, loving their enemies, doing all of those things. That is what the world is looking for, is for a people who are living under the reign of God. 
And we've got that. And that's what Jesus came to proclaim is, I'm the king and I'm bringing the reign of God here. And he made it possible for us. Our next lesson is going to be about Jesus as the image of God and exactly what that means to us to actually have somebody, a human, a God human, who actually is the perfect image of God so that we have a template to look at and to see what it is that he, don't you want to know? I want to know what does Jesus want from me? I want to know because I started this out saying when I get to heaven, I want to hear well done good and faithful servant. So I want to know what he's requiring of me. The Bible says, it says in Matthew, seek first the kingdom of God. So we could call it the reign of God. Seek first the reign of God and his righteousness. And then everything else will be given to you. In the Amplified Bible, the word righteousness is amplified out as God's way we could say God's definition of being and doing right. That's the kingdom of God. What God wanted all the way back there in the garden, in Genesis chapter 1, where God said, I'm making human in my image, and I want him to rule, and I want him to reign, and I want him to take the earth somewhere. I want him to have dominion, and I'm elevating human up to this exalted status in, of being my image and doing what I want with the earth and in communities of people. And with Jesus, he's bringing us right back to that. Only this time we've got the Holy Spirit. We've got Jesus himself living inside of us to help us to do that. That's the New Testament. That's the gospel. That, that is the story of being a new creation in Christ. I'm a new creation. You know, I was thinking, and we'll probably talk about this next week. You know, we, we think about the miracles that Jesus did and how, well, wouldn't it be awesome to raise somebody up from the dead? Wouldn't that be cool to either see that or to do that? And I thought, you know what? I've done that a bunch of times. I've done that a bunch of times. Every time I resurrect that old man that's supposed to be dead, I'm, I'm dead to sin, but I'm alive to God. And every time I resurrect the old man to have my way of doing something, I'm raising up the dead. <laughs> it just kind of hit me. I thought that's kind of like what that is. So anyway, so Jesus comes on the scene and he says, good news. The, the kingdom of heaven is here. The reign of heaven is here. And what does that look like for him to do that? He goes around teaching and preaching and healing. And he says, repent. Because what we are so used to in this world of seeing human institutions and human kingdoms that are not doing things according to God's definition of good, that we don't know what it looks like. So we have, to, it's such a major paradigm shift for us to think the way God thinks. And I can remember I was doing a series a long time ago on the Beatitudes, which is the opening paragraph to the Sermon on the Mount. And I was thinking about, we call it an upside down kingdom, don't we? The, the kingdom of heaven, it's upside down. It's not how we're used to seeing it. And so um, I was getting ready to write down in my notes, 
God's ways are opposite our ways. And I heard the Spirit of God say to me, you all call them opposite, but I just call them higher. Because his ways are so much higher than our ways that they are on the far end of the spectrum and they appear to us to be opposite. And so we call it an upside down kingdom. But you know what? I'm thinking now that what humans did all those years going and trying to rule and reign and not doing it the right way, that was upside down. You know what Jesus did when he came? He turned it right side back up again, the way it's supposed to be. That's what it looks like to live under the reign of God is the, is the upside down kingdom, but it's really right side up. But we live in a world where everybody else has it upside down. So he looks at um, injustice and all those things, and he says those things are not, you know, stepping on people to, to get, get ahead. And, and all of those things that we see in our human world, um, he confronts all of that. And he's like, that's, that's not a part of my kingdom. That's not a part of my rule. And he wants us to live different. And that's how people are going to come into the kingdom and join us. And that's how people are going to, they're going to say, well, who's believed our report? When we start doing that, they're going to believe it. And they're going to, because they're going to see it and they're going to want that. It's compelling to see something like that. So the kingdom of God, when Jesus came, it looked totally different than what they thought it was going to be. And it's something where they had to completely change the way they think. Repent means to change the way you think, doesn't it? It doesn't necessarily mean tears. It means change how you think about things and turn around. And when you change how you think about things, it's going to change how you act and how you live that out. So that's what um, the reign of God is. It's a complete upending of our value system and our definitions of power and success. And the more I think about this, the more I'm thinking, I would rather be the one living under the reign of God and maybe getting used and getting um, treated poorly or treated wrong or persecuted, all those things that are listed in the, in the Beatitudes about that's when you're really blessed. I'd rather be the one that's being taken advantage of than the one that is taking advantage of somebody. Because you know what? The one that's taking advantage of somebody, they're that person who's not living according to God's reign and not living according to God's definition of what's really good and good and proper way to live as a human being. So Jesus is actually the human that we were supposed to be but failed to be. And he's shown us how to do that again because we're recreated in Christ Jesus. And we are transformed into that same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. So now we can do this. We can, we can do this. We can live under the reign of God. And we can be a picture of God to the world because that's what an image does. It images something. And so that was the plan all along. God never changed his mind. Never once changed his mind. Never gave up on humans. He just fixed it. And now we who believe and who understand and, and the ones to whom the arm of the Lord has been revealed, we can begin to walk that out in our daily life. And that's beautiful feet. That's when the feet are beautiful because we're proclaiming the good news that 
our God reigns. Our God reigns. God is real. He's able to help us to live like that. And until we start doing it, we're not going to convince anybody of anything. We need to be a picture of God to this world. And Jesus told us how to do it. The reign of God is here.